do those projects. Colossians chapter number 4, as we come to the end of this chapter, you'll notice chapter 4 has at the beginning, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So at the beginning of this chapter, we see Paul finishing up his practical exhortations and commands and principles regarding the living out of the doctrine that he had spent at the beginning of the the book, teaching, as we often see, doctrine and then duty, belief, behavior, principle, and then practice. And that's what Paul has been doing up until about verse 7 of chapter number 4 of the book of Colossians. Now, I don't know about you, but it, it intrigues me as Paul often, near the end of his epistles, he will list and he'll name many different individuals. Some of them, we only see them one time in all of Scripture, and it's in the farewell of his letter. Now, I know it's a little bit unusual for us. I don't know if you had an English class and had an English teacher that taught formal letter writing skills. Anybody have an English class where the teacher taught formal letter writing? Yeah. I know a lot of kids today, they don't, they don't get that. We, we hardly handwrite anything. There are kids today don't even know how to write cursive. And we, we continue to teach cursive at our school. And I would go through the whole sales pitch. I won't give you the, all that. But we continued to teach cursive, and we felt like it was necessary and it was a good uh, handwriting practice and a good skill and there are kids today who can't even read the declaration of independence because it was written in cursive it's sad they can't write in cursive they barely know how to sign their name and that's supposed to be in cursive right your signature is supposed to be in cursive so if you've taken a formal letter writing uh, if you're taking an English class and you learn formal letter writing, you have the salutation and all the different formal ways in which you're supposed to start the letter and introdu- introduction and the paragraphs and then uh, the salutation and then at the end the proper way that you're supposed to say sincerely or the different ways in which you conclude the letter. And then if it's a business letter, you had to put in certain things. And I remember having to, to learn some of that. And I'm thankful for a class like that because as I got older and I wrote fewer letters, I had to type a lot more emails. And so I'm thankful for some formal instruction on letter writing because I found that I had to sometimes be very formal in emails. And yes, there was still some amount of typing and some of that still goes on where you type a formal letter. But here's Paul, and he literally says in verse 18, the salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds, grace be with you, amen. So Paul is at times using a stenographer dictating a letter. This one in particular he mentions he has written with his own hand. And he is probably using an inkwell and a very uh, dimly lit room and some sort of parchment or papyrus, we're not sure exactly what, and then this letter is taken to the church at Colossae. 
And as he finishes up the letter and he gets to his salutation in verse number 7, he begins to list people who are his companions in ministry. And the first one he mentions is Tychicus. Now, I do not know any kids by the name of Tiki or Little Tiki or Tychicus, okay? I don't know anybody by that name. It's an unusual name. It means fortuitous or fortunate. We're not sure exactly why he was named that. may have been because of the culture in which he grew up in and his parents and had some sort of desire for him to have good luck in his life, and so they named him Fortunate. Now, we're not sure exactly what, but we see in verse 7, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And you see Paul's love for the people who he ministers with and ministers to. And I am so thankful throughout the years of having fellow servants and fellow laborers, beloved brothers, beloved sisters in the Lord. And every ministry that I have been a part of, there have been beloved brothers and sisters. There have been fellow servants. There have been, in some cases, with a staff. There have been fellow ministers. But I'm thankful for the local church and the people that God brings that God calls, that we get to serve alongside and serve with, and we're laborers together. And there are ten individuals, we'll only talk about maybe five or six tonight, and then uh, I'll be gone the next couple of Wednesdays, I apologize for that, but with our family vacation and then having to take the kids down a little earlier than we originally expected, um, I'll be out the next couple of Wednesdays, and uh, Earl will be doing the Bible study the next couple of Wednesdays, I appreciate him doing that. But we'll come back, Lord willing, and we'll finish up the the last uh, few names. But I love the personal way in which Paul concludes his letter. And it is such a reminder of the people that God brings into our life that we get to serve together with in the local church. From setting up a fellowship hall, to cleaning, to doing work around the exterior of the building, to ushering, to teaching a Sunday school, to working in the sound booth, all the different areas. I talk about our music team and what a privilege as a team for us. And again, I use that word team not in a way that we're some sort of worship band or something like that, but the, the, the group of people that God has blessed to help in the leadership of the music here and thankful for them and the musicians that God has given us, and their talent. And we, we labor together, we serve together, and we have so many ways in which God brings people together in a local church, and they are faithful as servants of the Lord, co-laborers ministering together. And here's one that Paul mentions, Tychicus. And then he mentions Onesimus. So Tychicus and Onesimus, you'll notice as we look at them, that they both are what? They're both messengers for Paul. And there's something unique about this Onesimus. He's mentioned as faithful. He's mentioned as a beloved brother. He's mentioned as a fellow Colossian. He's mentioned as a messenger of Paul like Tychicus. Tychicus. 
But notice that he is also a runaway slave of Philemon, who Paul had the opportunity to lead to the Lord. Here is Onesimus having run away, and I understand that slavery has a context in America that uh, is very controversial. It was obviously uh, an evil that to some degree we're, we're still experiencing the consequences in our country because of the evil of slavery and the, the race-based slavery that occurred in America. And uh, we won't get into all the, the ins and outs of that, but we, ha- we have to understand that slavery was in existence in the Roman Empire. And some of it was race-based, but oftentimes it was because they had conquered a group of people and they took them into captivity, they took them as subjects, and they made them slaves. Sometimes slavery was the result of debts. In our culture, we just take another credit card out, the government just prints some more bills and adds to the national debt. Well, back in the ancient times, and I don't know if there's any countries today that practice this, but if you couldn't pay your debt back, you didn't just um, write Uncle Joe and say, can you forgive my debt or cancel my debt? And then he just waves his magic wand and presto changeo, we add six or four, what was it I heard today? $400 billion to the national debt. They didn't do that back then. If you became indebted, you didn't go to Wells Fargo or Chase Bank and take out another credit card. You lost your privilege to be a free person and you worked for somebody and you worked off your debt. Now, something tells me that if we did that today, I know there would be all the human rights violations and all that, but I I have a feeling that it would reduce the amount of debt in our culture. I don't know what the numbers are. I heard, and after inflation, I'm sure the numbers are a lot higher now, but I heard at one time that the national average of credit card debt is something in the neighborhood of seven dollars to $8,000 per person. And I don't know where, where it is at now with inflation and the economic issues that we've had over the last few years, but Onesimus had been a slave of Philemon, and he had run away. And that was a violation, obviously, of the Roman rule and the Roman law And we don't need to get into all the controversies of the slavery and all that, but the point is that when Philemon and Paul met, Paul shared the gospel with him. Onesimus got saved, and I'm getting my names mixed up, I apologize. When Onesimus met Paul, Paul shared the gospel with him. Onesimus gets saved, and then the whole book of Philemon is about how... Onesimus gets saved, and Philemon is exhorted by Paul to forgive Onesimus and to welcome back as a brother first and foremost. Recognize him as a person who's made in the image of God, who has dignity, and he is a believer. And treat him the right way. In the Roman culture, under Roman law, I don't know what Onesimus' opportunity would have been to be a free man again. I don't know what kind of debt he had to pay. I don't know if he would have even had any kind of liberty if he came out from underneath Philemon. I don't even know if Onesimus could have made a living. 
I don't know. I don't know if he would have been able to survive if he uh, was not under uh, Philemon. I'm not sure. But the point is that Paul exhorted Philemon to welcome Onesimus back and treat him with respect, treat him well, and treat him as a brother in Christ. Don't see him as your personal slave. See him as a brother in Christ and love him like a brother and treat him as a fellow Christian. And we see Onesimus as he's described here in verse number 9. He's described as a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, a Colossian. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. So Tychicus and Onesimus are messengers and they are found faithful. Now what are, sadly, what are the messengers too often in our churches? They're messengers of gossip. Messengers of backbiting, messengers of slander, messengers of rumor. Isn't that too often the case? The messages that are permeated or that are spread throughout the church too often are rumors and negativity about each other or trying to gain confederates or complaints. Too often there is a lie that is spreading around the church before the truth can even get its shoes put on. Sadly, it's not always the case, but there are too many lies, too many rumors, too much gossip, too many evil reports that get spread in our churches today, which results many times in not just hurt feelings, but sometimes in splits and can affect the congregation in significant ways. Paul will mention a couple of people who were at odds with each other and were creating division in the church, but... Tychicus and Onesimus were such faithful messengers that they were, from what we understand, responsible for, ver- for taking the very epistles that Paul wrote to the church that were written by the inspiration of God. They were taking the letters that God had breathed and had inspired and Paul had written by the inspiration of God And they were the faithful messengers to take those to the churches. Colossae, Philippi, or so Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon are what we are gathering from these references. Colossians 4.8, Ephesians 6.21, Acts 20 and verse 4. The other passages, there's enough information in those verses for us to gather that they were probably, these two men were involved in at least three different letters, the dispersion of at least three different letters. Now we're talking about walking and running and climbing and hiking. We're not talking about jets, airplanes, climate control vehicles, and all the nice amenities that we have. We're talking about a letter written on papyrus or on some sort of animal skin and they are taking that and maybe it's in a scroll and they're stuffing it in some sort of leather pouch or container and then they're walking, they're riding, they're hiking, they're having to deal with the markets and the busyness and maybe getting on ships, traveling, okay, and 
If Paul is writing from a Roman prison, they're having to cross. I mean, this is a major undertaking. We carry around a Bible today, and we drove in a nice car, and we, next week, Lord willing, we're going to fly in business class, or whatever the peons ride in in the back. We're not going to have first class, <laughs> whatever we ride in. Uh, the, uh, what do they call it, the, the unwashed masses, <laughs> or whatever the joke is about the groups that get put in the back of the airplane, they get herded in there. Don't you feel like a piece of cattle sometimes uh, going in? We're, we're going to fly, and it's still going to be a lot better than having to drive 16 hours in a van, and even with air conditioning and all that. But we, we're, so, we're so used to all of that. Onesimus and Tychicus literally are putting their lives at risk with the robbers and the crime and the unruly types of places they could be in. So many ways in which they sacrificed. And we have these letters that were written by the inspiration of God, that were God-breathed, and they are preserved, and they are in our Bible today. And Tychicus and Onesimus were faithful messengers who delivered those. And we have men in here who've worked for the United States Postal System, snail mail, as it's called today. And uh, you know what it's like. I've even read that you, you don't put your mail in the blue boxes at certain times of the day. Don't ever put your mail. I was reading the other day. Don't put your mail in a blue box and let it be there overnight. If the mailbox says that the mail is going to get picked up at 3.30, put it in there at 3.25 because they have, found, they have found that people have been stealing the blue boxes, the blue mailboxes, and trying to get in there and open up envelopes and find bills and checks and credit card offers and all that kind of thing. So I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that, but I was reading an article about the blue mailboxes. Go to the post office and put it in there and all that kind of stuff. This is without even United States Postal Service delivering these epistles. Faithful, faithful messengers. God saved these men, and they are named very briefly in Scripture, but they had an incredible role, faithful companions and faithful messengers for the Lord. Aristarchus, in verse number 10, My fellow prisoner saluteth you. So very little is said about him, except that he was a fellow prisoner Philemon, verse 24, he was, he's recognized as a fellow laborer. He was a Thessalonian, we understand, from Acts 20 and verse number 4. And we know from Acts 19 and verse 29 that he was seized with Paul during a riot in Ephesus. And that could have eventually led to him being imprisoned uh, for preaching the gospel uh, at some point in his ministry with Paul. And he's considered a fellow prisoner as well as a fellow laborer. He's mentioned in Acts 20 and verse 4 and Acts 27 and verse 2 as well. And then we see John Mark, verse number 10. And Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, Barnabas' cousin, touching whom ye receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. What is the issue that we are familiar with with John Mark? He left Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. We know from the book of Acts that they were on that journey in Acts 13, and for whatever reason, Mark got discouraged or fearful, overwhelmed. I just was 
talking with Pastor Arrowwood yesterday. We had an opportunity to, to get together with Pastor Arrowwood and Dolly. They were over in Logansport. He's been preaching over there and going to some board meetings in Indy. And we had an opportunity to get together them, with them um, at dinner last night and enjoyed uh, some good fellowship together and reliving some old memories and, and uh, having our theological discussions and exchanging things about the ministry and just, I don't know, something that preachers enjoy doing and uh, had, a, had a wonderful time doing that. But he was telling me about a, a, a young preacher who's overwhelmed in the ministry and is probably going to have to drop out of uh, the, the pastorate because he's so overwhelmed. He's having uh, too many issues that he... He's probably going to have to either drop out of the ministry altogether or take a break. And it just breaks my heart to hear that. Because there's so many pressures and uh, there's so much negativity sometimes. And, and then there's all the comparisons. And you've got these big national preachers. And then you've got all the theological issues and all that stuff that comes. And with social media, all I've got to do is get on there. And I mean, I'm this little peon, nothing little preacher who... I don't hold a candle to some of these big guys who have a mega church, and you know. And before long, you can get overwhelmed with that, and comparison can be a real problem. And the fear of man, and and I was just it was just saddened to hear of a young preacher, probably not uh, that much different in age from me, and uh, pastoring a small church, and he, he's he's probably going to have to take a sabbatical or drop out of the ministry altogether. And I think of John Mark, and for whatever reason, on that first missionary journey, he just. He, he couldn't handle it, and it ended up being a contention later between Paul and Barnabas because Paul did not trust that John Mark could go on another missionary journey after what had happened the previous time. So he went with Silas, Barnabas went with John Mark. We know that source of contention caused for a split uh, in that particular ministry, and God used both mission teams, both missionary teams were used of the Lord, but there was a difference there. But then we see here in verse number 10, notice how John Mark is addressed. Remember, this is Paul, who is the human author. Is, he is writing the, the very words that God would have him to write. He says, touching whom ye received commandments, if he come unto you, what does he say? Receive him. Now, does that sound like Paul is marked, John Mark, off forever? I know that I, I've known some preachers who a man early in his ministry or there's a disagreement or whatever the case may be, I've known some men in the ministry, as soon as somebody disagrees with them, they are put on a blacklist, they are marked off forever, and they're condemned to never be able to ever be in the good graces of that pastor, that preacher ever again. Paul wasn't that way, was he? Here he is saying to the, uh, to the Colossians, if he come unto you, receive him. John Mark has value in the ministry. Yes, he may have failed. He may have dropped out. He may have gotten overwhelmed. Whatever it was, John Mark had gotten through it. We know Barnabas was an encourager, the son of consolation. I would imagine that Barnabas had a lot to do with that. And I'm thankful for the Barnabases who come into our lives and when we're having a downtime and we're discouraged and we're overwhelmed, there's the Barnabases that God puts in our lives. And I have to think that Barnabas had a lot to do with John Mark, but I also have a lot of respect for Paul, who as he saw John Mark coming out of whatever failure, whatever he had done to drop out of the ministry on that first missionary journey, now I see Paul recognizing that John Mark still had value in the ministry. 
God still had a ministry for John Mark. And he says to the Colossians, if you see him, if he comes to you, receive him. And then we look in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, and it's referenced again in Philemon in verse 24, but specifically 2 Timothy 4.11, we read that John Mark was profitable to Paul in the ministry. That's huge. What was that like for John Mark to have dropped out, in a sense, to have not been able to keep up, but then to get restored, and then for Paul to welcome him back in the ministry and say he's profitable. Can you imagine for someone who has struggled maybe, and we've been there again, but I'm thinking from a ministry standpoint for that young man to come back and to be able to serve the Lord and to be able to exercise his gifts in the ministry and for Paul to say he's profitable unto me. What a blessing. What a joy that must have been to John Mark's heart. And he continued to be used of the Lord. Peter, I skipped over it, but Peter even references him as a son in the faith in 1 Peter 5 and verse 13. Uh, He was involved in Acts 12, verses 12 and 13 as well uh, there uh, in in Peter's ministry. We have just enough time to talk about one, maybe two more. I'll go ahead and put both of them up. We may have to come back uh, in, in a few weeks and look at these names again. But we see in verse 11, we see Justice also known as Jesus. That was a common name in the Bible times. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision. So we understand that he was a Jew, uh, probably there in Rome, a Roman Jew. So he was also involved in Paul's ministry. He's referring in verse 11, These only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. So a specific way in which justice had ministered to Paul, no doubt there uh, in Rome. Uh, We know that uh, this word comfort is used here in verse number 11. And it's interesting because this word comfort is only used here in the New Testament. This specific word, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, paragoria. And it specifically means relief or consolation. Justice had a comforting, an encouraging, a relieving, a consoling ministry. Paul was still a man with feet of clay. He was still a man who bled red blood. He was in the dungeon, the prison of Rome. He had no doubt had some discouraging thoughts. He's only human. I know he's considered one of the greatest Christians ever to live, but does not Paul also recognize these individuals as having brought comfort, consolation, relief? Don't we have that privilege with one another? And what a, what, what a tremendous opportunity as fellow believers in a local church to help bear one another's burdens, to come together on a Wednesday night in the middle of a busy week with all the pressures and to be able to pray for one another. What a joy. There are a lot, of, and I'm not, trying to, to, I'm not trying to be condemning of other churches, but there are some churches, they never have a prayer time. There's never a time set aside where believers come together and pray verbally with one another. There's a corporate prayer time maybe, 
with a prayer leader, but there are some churches and some believers who never have a time of prayer with another believer. How sad. How sad. Here is an individual who Paul says is of comfort, of consolation to me. And he uses a unique word for comfort here because it was such a special way in which justice, Jesus, ministered to him. His very name means righteous. Maybe his parents were uh, saved individuals and they uh, were looking at him as an individual who would grow up to serve the Lord and they named him righteous. But he was a Jew along with Mark and Aristarchus. And then Epaphras, uh, we'll have to come back, Lord willing, in a few weeks and look at him some more, but just a quick overview of Epaphras. He is also a Jew. He's one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in what? In prayers. Epaphras, different from Epaphroditus, I think some people put them together as one individual, but I believe they're two separate individuals, Epaphras and Epaphroditus, two different individuals. Epaphras was a prayer warrior. He labored fervently in prayers. And that phrase there, laboring fervently, is a word that means wrestling. It's also translated striving. I believe it's Colossians 1 in verse 29. Whereunto I also labor striving. Same word. Has to do with wrestling and has to do with striving. It is the word from which we get our word agony. He agonizes in prayer. When's the last time we agonized in prayer? Especially for another believer. How many times do we agonize in our negative thoughts about an individual? If I could just... I remember sitting in a meeting, and I remember a church member who we were having difficulty with, with another church member. And this one church member, literally in our meeting, she said, I'm never going to sit in that auditorium again with that person. I sat back and I thought, what? What in the world is going on? There was agony of negativity, of bitterness, of anger. Sure enough, that other family left the church, and I don't know if they're in church today or not, but what, what an attitude. So sad. When did we ever agonize for another believer? When did we wrestle with the Lord and strive for another individual, for a child, for a parent, for a prodigal child, for an individual in the church who we have, we've been struggling with. And we are happy to go and be a messenger of all the negativity about that other church member, but when's the last time we agonized over their, their life, their soul, and their spiritual condition? For an unsaved individual, even. I know this context is with a believer. But what a testimony Epaphras in Holy Writ, in Scripture, he is known as a prayer, not just a prayer warrior, but literally a prayer wrestler, laboring fervently in prayer for other believers. And specifically that they might be mature, that they might be perfect and complete in all the will of God. What a prayer 
that Epaphras had for his fellow believers. We're out of time tonight. We'll come back, Lord willing, in a few weeks and touch on Epaphras again and then look at the other individuals. But I hope this has been an encouragement. I love how Paul names these individuals, and maybe we identify with some of them in some way, and I hope that it will help us in our walk with the Lord. And thank you so much for being here tonight. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you for these individuals that you included in your holy scriptures that, Lord, Paul was so thankful for, whom he loved, who ministered to him and ministered with him. and They each had a testimony, they each had a role, they each had a place, Lord, of service, fellow laborers, fellow ministers, servants, prayer warriors. We thank you for them, Lord. We look forward to one day meeting them in glory and talking to them about some of their experiences as you would allow us to do so. But Lord, may we be like a Tychicus or an Onesimus. May we be like a Justice or an Epaphras. Lord, whatever our role, whatever our place is, we pray that you will help us to be submissive and to be teachable and to be used of you however you see fit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thank you for being here. We look forward to being back together on Saturday for the men with their activity and the breakfast and then Sunday for worship. Have a great rest of the week.